0: Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen Hello, I am Scott Allen, and thanks to my daughter Kate for developing the intro to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast, where we offer a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests help us explore timely topics and incorporate practical tips to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. If you haven't done so, please click subscribe so you automatically, seamlessly stay in the know when we publish new episodes. Likewise, please provide me with feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? And what else would you like to know? And now, today's show. Brad Jackson, you are an award winner, and you've won an award. I don't think you think you knew that you've won an award, but you've won an award for The Distance, the, the guest furthest from me. In this moment. And I think it's you. I think you get the distance award. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. Uh, I am in Cleveland, Ohio. You are in New Zealand. And for our listeners, uh, Brad Jackson is, well, he's a scholar. He is an administrator. He's a professor. He, is, he, he trots the globe Especially when we can trot the globe. Right now, we've probably paused on some of that. But Brad is the associate dean of strategic engagement at Waikato Management School, which is based in Hamilton, New Zealand. Brad Jackson, how are you, sir? Happy New Year!
1: And to you too, Scott uh, kia ora, uh to you and your listeners, and uh, thanks very much. It's uh, great to be awarded for for, for coming the, the furthest. Although, it, you know, uh, distance in some respects has, you know. We, this particular year has just become so much more compressed. It's been a, mar- a marvelous experience to be able to participate even more globally than I was historically through digital uh, contact. And uh, great, you've had a great lineup of speakers, and uh, lovely to be able to join this and to uh, you know wave the flag for Oceania. Again. <laughs> uh,
0: well, sir, you have been you've been exploring this topic of uh, leading in place. And you have an another another award that I want to give you, but that's going to be later in the episode. So I'm going to keep you in suspense.
1: <laughs> but let's- keep me grounded. <laughs> <Exactly. right? laughs>
0: you have two awards. You didn't even know it. You're going to get two awards today. So, so leading in place – you had sent me a paper as we prepared for this episode. I looked, but I would love for you to take our listeners through some of that work. How are you thinking about leading in place? And then, of course, we have the leadership hexad, which I'm excited to hear about too. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. Thanks, Scott. Uh, yeah, really. What uh, the the place is part of that hexad framework, which we've developed. Ken Perry, who. Uh, God bless him. We we lost him uh, two or three you know, two years ago. But he and I co-authored a book called The Very Short, fairly interesting, quite cheap book about studying leadership. And for the third edition, we were looking at a way of trying to uh, sort of promote uh, multi-dimensional views of leadership to kind of open up uh, our perspectives. So we were inspired by Keith Grint's four lenses of leadership and uh, added. Uh, and they they were around uh, person position um, and performance, and uh, so we've added yeah yes it pro- uh, process yeah so those what we've added purpose and place uh, to that to create this uh, the, this this hexad that um and really it's just trying to if you think about uh, the way I look at it is you've got this kind of a iceberg of the way we think about leadership and we all know when people focus on leadership most of the work has been around the person you know what's distinctive about the leader particularly we tend to get very focused on those that are in positions of authority and then we get hung up on how well they and their organization their team or whatever or their community are performing what we believe is very important is is that below that iceberg of attention that gets all the focus is these three other lenses which is around uh, process uh, performance uh, sorry uh, purpose in place are really critical but they're nowhere near as well recognized or as utilized either in media conventional media or social media or even in academic research and so in particular place is a major passion for me um, and that's part of the reason why i have work to live in different parts of the world is because I think there's nothing like working and if you want to get to know a place uh, try to change something <laughs> it. Uh, you know visiting is easy you know climbing a mountain jumping out of a helicopter or whatever fine but actually go into an organization to try to make something happen uh, you really get to know place but it comes uh, by uh, honestly because I'm a I'm a geographer originally my um, My undergraduate degree was at the University of Bristol. I did a Bachelor of Science. I got very focused on quantitative analysis of space. And uh, then I moved to the University of British Columbia. That's what brought me to North America to do my Master of Arts, my MA in Geography. And that was all hermeneutic interpretive approaches, so no numbers uh, and all about meaning. I, that was sort of the basis of my education in particular if you think about my undergraduate was all about understanding space and how to analyse and make sense of space and then my MA was just about place, an important distinction and I suppose as you go through your career, particularly as you get towards quote the twilight phase um, of, your, of your career you tend to think about hang on uh, where did this all start and you start to go back to your original passions and interests and so what I've been sort of quietly and slightly more noisily doing recently is looking at what I call a geography of leadership. So in other words, we've talked a lot about the fact that psychology and leadership tend to, you know, like they've had the tight reins on the on the field for a while, but sociologists have got in there, political scientists, philosophers, you know, including scientists, and et cetera, now, and arts, what about a geography of, of leadership and what? would that bring to bear and it's so so that that's essentially why i thought look this is something that need to we've talked a lot about context that's and it's usually acknowledged sort of in a fairly grudging way at the end to say well of course there's a context in which it happens <laughs> and, you know, the, it's sort of usually in the, the last part of a phd people say oh and this you know there are some specific contextual issues here blah 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 what i wanted to do is to say if you put place For first and foremost, how does that then
0: change what comes to bear in in leadership? Wow! So tell me a story about that, Brad. Unpack that a little bit. Unpack that. Maybe maybe even give me an example. Right? What do you? I'm really really intrigued by this because I think you're exactly right. I think you're right on a number of things for sure. I mean, of course, contexts, uh, you know, Barbara Kellerman talks a little bit about leader followers context. She calls it her leadership system. But that whole realm of context has not necessarily been unpacked. Fred Fiedler was really one of the first to at least in contingency theory start thinking about it's not just the leader or the followers, right? There's a there's a context that's that's in play. But you're unpacking this context in a different way, and I love it. I think it's a lot of fun. So tell me more.
1: Yeah, because I, mean, I think the other thing that's important about so, you know context, situation, you know, a number of people have, have foregrounded that, but I don't think they've actually tended to play a sort of subsidiary role. There is a recognition that it's important uh, that it acts on what behaviors and relationships, but... The piece that it hasn't been is the way in which place can be an active resource, in and a constraint in leadership. So it's actually a dialectical relationship. And you know, you mentioned the hexadic. Uh, the hex is basically trying to promote when you say, "Well, hang on, what's the relationship between the person and the place in leadership, or the performance in place, or process?" And but, but my particular passion—I think you've had Steve Kempster on the show primarily—is that uh, you know we have a sort of twin passion for for uh, The role of purpose and the way, and so what we've been working on is this sort of notion between purpose and place the relationship. So, look, to give you, I mean, uh, an an example, I I guess where I got really, you know, thinking about the importance of place and the issue was really my encounter moving to Aotearoa in New Zealand in '99 from from, from Canada. In the the university and other communities, we uh, are brought on to what's known as the Morai, which is a, a meeting house for the Māori, and essentially the local iwi bring you on through a, a porphyry. When you spend time, you know, so you spend the, the night as a group there, you are encouraged to, to provide a meeting, which is basically talking about who you are. And one of the things that you're asked to talk about is, and, you know, it's, you know your whakapapa which is your lineage, which, you know, who are, you know, your ancestors because they play a critical role in influencing leadership. That's another topic, by the way. But you're also encouraged to talk about your mountain and your river. And as someone that sort of moved around an awful lot, I must admit, I really struggle with that. Say, well, what what is my mountain and and, and my my river? And the whole idea is that these are kind of critical anchors for who you are and what you're about and what you stand for. And so, for a long time, I, I struggled. And I, I hail from my family's from Leicestershire. I wasn't born there; I was born in Germany. But so I, you know, I sort of focused on the uh, the the, the Be- Beacon Hill, which is a sort of the oldest rocks of Europe and the river soar and the grand union canal is that but i thought isn't it interesting i have trouble with that and yet i found that remarkably grounding when i when i did do that process and so whenever i go back to england which was last october 2019 i always make a point of going to pecan hill and and going down to the uh, to the river and the, where the river meets the canal and and really sort of thinking yeah that's a lot about who who i am and an awful lot of so in this incredibly digitalized world, you know, where, you know, it's uh, everything is fast moving, connecting. We, If you like, business schools have played a critical role in, quote, destroying the challenges that distance and time plays. It's that actually we may have lost something very important in terms of who we are and what we're here to do, which is sort of anchored in, in place. So so, yeah, so I'll, I'll let you pick up on would that. You, would
0: uh, you talk a little bit more about the the mountain and the river and kind of the thinking behind those two? I find it fascinating.
1: Yeah, well, there's a strong spiritual connotation to that in uh, Maori cosmology about the creation and so these mountains and rivers and so you, it's, it's, it's a very important part of that. But it, it actually, it does... You know, you, there are. We tend to think of okay, mountains. That's got to be the Himalayas or the Andes or whatever. But in actual fact, it's actually looking even in the Midwest. You know, the. You know, <laughs> I don't, by the way, I was based on the prairies for a while, but at least I had the. Wrong Brad, it
0: wouldn't prairie. be a mountain. It would be a hill.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. But it's still that sense of a you know where you can get height, where you can get, and you start to think about quote the morphology. You start to think about it not just as. But it's something you you physically engage with and appreciate, and it's really about that sort of timeless aspects. But recognizing it's always in play, it's always growing. And like we we live, you know, in New Zealand. It's called the Shaky Isles, so we have a lot of uh, interesting stuff happening in terms of our earth, the Earth's crust here with earthquakes, the old the volcano, and so you are you 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 know that 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 place and the the, the uh, environment is is so obviously important too. To uh, who you are and what what it's what it's about, but we do an awful lot to you know subjugate that and minimise that and push that to the side, whereas natural fat. And and so if we think about just this got COVID uh, and the response there, how powerful that has been in terms of you know I guess underlying the power of place, because people have been quote locked in and they have you know certainly in New Zealand were able to. Walk around their immediate neighbourhood and actually start to walk, slow down, see things, observe things, and in a way that I think has been quite quite palpable for people too. And but also, if you think about the whole epidemiology, you know, we did I did quite a lot of studies of that when I was doing geography, looking at the pro, the, the spread of diseases, you know, and the proximity in social spaces and all that. So I think people have become a lot more conscious in, about uh, where they are. The immediate environment, how well they're doing compared to other parts of the world, and you know, what Do we want people here and whatever? You know that kind of thing. So actually, I do think uh, places become so much more significant for people, and in terms of saying, you "Well, know, what's it all about? Where do I need to be, and how how do I interact with that with that environment?" So, it, you know, in a way, it's reinforced. And you know, for me, I came from uh, Australia. I had about to came. Earlier than I was planning, I had about three or four days to leave the country to get to New Zealand my wife and I weren't sure we were going to be able to get back in. We got in, we had, a, uh, we got there day before lockdown and we were two weeks in quarantine in New Zealand, but we just felt so happy to be back uh, in New Zealand, so happy to be home in a pandemic context, you know, and uh, so, so I guess in a way. This this place issue and and getting people to act and to combine to tackle uh, this common issue has been really palpable. And you know the sort of team of five million has been remarkable to be here to be a part of that, that of that process. And place was central.
0: Would you talk? Uh, would you talk about that? Tell us some stories, I, Brad. I, I'm going to tell you one quick story, and then I want to hear about what you've what you've witnessed with the the team of you said the team of five million people. That was beautiful. But your story resonated with me because my family spent October in Utah. And my wife and I, are we, we travel, and we absolutely love the American West. We love being among the mountains. And it's for some reason, it's just calming. And my wife and I were on a walk last summer, and I said to her, I just need to be among the Red Rocks. I just need it. And we traveled, to, we traveled to Utah. We basically drove straight there. We stopped five times and didn't know anybody. We just rented an Airbnb and we kept to ourselves for a month. But on the weekends, we went to national parks, Zion or Bryce or Death Valley and some famous national parks in the U.S. And just had an incredible, it was so grounding to be there. So your story resonates. It, it very much resonates for me because it was calming and it was a wonderful experience. And whether it was our kids being able to physically climb on the Red Rock and engage, right? It just, it was, it was a wonderful October. An October, none of us will forget. And on Halloween, which is a big deal in the States, our children were worried because it was going to be different. And we said, well, how do we create the the most memorable, incredible Halloween you've ever experienced. And we said, well, we've got a surprise. And so we ended up in Arches National Park, dressed, the five of us dressed as dinosaurs running around <laughs> Arches. But again, it was this place that had history in our family and to go back there and to be there in this just beautiful, beautiful, uh, scenic place. It was, it was a memory that the five of us will remember forever. They will never forget that Halloween, right? So your story resonates for me in a very, very beautiful way. But I want to hear about what you've witnessed because I don't know that there's many other places on planet Earth that have dealt with the pandemic better than New Zealand. At least that's my impression. Is that, would you agree?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, and I just, to, you know, to talk about the fact that this was a very much a collective experience that you had and I would sense that you know uh, this was even more point to you in the the COVID context than it would have been a year or two earlier that you was a more purposeful engagement with that particular place and i certainly America West is you know stunning up I've, I've just saw the, the movie Nomadland with the, and um, yeah, you know, much is made of Francis McDermott's, uh you know, performance, which was wonderful. McCormick's performance, but I think the Oscar should go to the place. I mean, that's that—that that was a vital part of, you know, uh, it was, uh, you know, it's the South Dakota, uh, Arizona. And so, and Nevada. So it was very, you know, and I, I, I what I was, when I was watching the movie, I was saying, oh, that's, so my wife said, that's Nevada. That's,
0: <laughs> so well, it's a character. <laughs> you can, you can right? never go
1: to a movie with a geography, geography of leadership scholar, you know. <laughs> but, 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 but I think the point, the point is, uh, it's important that obviously these, you know, we have strong attachments to mountains and rivers, et cetera, and, and those. But if we can harness that same sensitivity and attachment to the kind of more mundane, immediate, environment that we're in you know our home our community the the organization that we're in and give that as as much of a sort of a uh, importance i think it might you know uh, it it can it's interesting how that can change the leadership dynamic and i suppose that that sort of bigger argument is what i sort of picked up on i mean let's face it we're in we have the great geographic advantage here in being remote because the rest of the world is remote to us, that's the way we tend to look at it. But so we are an island, and it's no accident that the islands have generally done better in the you know because they're able to, to manage uh, borders. But we were an incredibly integrated uh, country. We had massive international tourists uh, figures. We had you know student, international students. A lot of Kiwis live overseas, etc. And so we are, and we're probably one of the most diverse populations on the planet. So. It's not as if we're hermetically sealed from the rest of the world. But I think what was very important is that, uh, you know, Jacinda Ardern, you know, our, our, our Prime Minister, um, and was able to, if, if you like, uh, speak to New Zealanders in a very responsive, responsible and responsive way. And the, the kind of key difference that I picked up on was that compared to, say, the media messages I was getting in Australia versus. You know, in New Zealand, was that Jacinda was sort of speaking alongside her, you know, chief medical uh, officer to uh, um, to to basically, uh, in a very calm way, considered way, speak to the ninety percent that were really, you know, really keen to conform, not just conform, but be proactive in terms of the defence there, and, and uh, versus speaking to the ten percent that were not. You know, it was sort of a, a sense so it was always to the majority, the wiser majority, the informed majority. And did it in a way. It was just involved us, made us feel very, you know, proud of what we were doing, but also, you know, spoke very, you know, in a very real way about the risks. So, I, you know, I just genuinely felt that every night we were having a conversation because, you know, we'd gone through the flights. We'd gone through the borders. We got there. We finally sat down in the hotel, turned on the news, and we just felt that we were being spoken to personally. Uh, about this and there was an obligation we were clear about what our obligation was but there was also a sort of a sense of pride that we would find a way as a country uh to uh, to to respond to this and to really and I suppose the focus on localism really vital you know what were the efforts being made in various you know remote parts of the country to sort of build that solidity and that sort of sense of and we're not a, you know, uh, New Zealand's a, a, you know, a pretty uh, quiet, uh, unassuming group. We don't like to show off, uh, so, but there was just a way of showing. And what was really powerful, and this goes back to process, is this tr- genuine collective, sort of celebrating the collective effort. So it wasn't about individual heroes or whatever. It was a sort of collective effort. And I suppose that's where that process, purpose, in place really. I think she had intuitively – so much is made of, quote, her persona and how she – but I think she intuitively and others, too, got how important it was to work around place, purpose, and and process there. So that was the kind of key key point of difference
0: there. Well, and, and the performance has been solid, right? And she used her position of authority to influence others. And would you say a little bit more about kind of what was, what, what are some aspects of the source of, you said, you said pride, you said collective, you used some very, very important words there. And she was a piece of that conversation. Obviously, her leadership was. But can you think of other sources of what, I, I mean, I love the image of you and your wife kind of sitting down in front of the TV and feeling a part of something larger. What's the source of that? Is it the place? I mean, that must be a piece of it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, and I, I do think, you know, I've got back to the fact that we are two nations. You know, the Tangata Fanawa, the founding nations, and then uh, the more recent, the Crown and the, and the Pākehā. Uh, so we're, we're kind of a, I think that the, the Māori tīkāngā, the wisdom and knowledge were really important part of that which and it's become critical as far as thinking about the longer term thinking about the uh, the much broader community and uh, beyond the immediate family you know the FRNL. and uh, and so I, I i sort of that that i think we've had that sort of fusion of leadership philosophies and ideas which are which are very very important too and i think also we've had a you know a, a government that's you know, uh, compared to a lot of parts of the world, there's still a fair bit of trust in public servants and and what the government does. We've had some very good prime ministers, uh, very good cabinets over the last 15 years. So it's not, there's not overnight in terms of you know, Helen Clark, John Key, just into, I don't, there's a there's a good lineage there. So I think that stability and trust in government was sort of there, but it was, it was done in a spoken to in a very much uh, respectful, uh, but all about the we you know and re-emphasizing and being able to emphasize small wins things that were going well things that needed to be addressed apologies when they were needed and um i, I just feel that sort of just being able to speak to the zeitgeist you know of the, of the country and sort of taking some pride in the um, the fact that we were doing well relative to the rest of the world we i mean. We, we're quietly a competitive nation i mean we like to excel we call this punching above our weight in sport and rugby you know cricket and all this kind of stuff so so that there's partly that but in a kind of constructive way so when we did have to reverse and go back into lockdown in auckland i think there was it was it was quite a sting it was like whoa you know we we thought we were and of course there's always the possibility every day that we will have to um you know, re- return to, to that, and so a kind of an appreciation for that, and there's a sort of a sense now that people are probably being a bit too taking it for granted. So there's trying to inject that energy, um, and so you know, we've got to be vigilant here as well. So, yeah, and and you know, it, it actually you know uh, in the recent election, uh, this was the first time the national uh, one government had succeeded in being the only government to be able to run. Uh, and so I think it's actually paid dividends as far as her popularity and the party's popularity too so it's reinforced that I think because now it's like okay what next expectations are going to need to be managed there as
0: well Well, as a leadership scholar is there anything else that stood out for you that you're observing kind of witnessing first hand yeah I think it's
1: uh, the notions that uh, and this is where place based is very important is that you know, with a lot of leadership scholarship is focused and research and development on individual organizations, teams, so what I call intra-organizations. So an awful lot of our work is still very focused that way. But really, to me, the the, the frontier, and I've been, I was already sort of onto this and thinking about this. I would moved into a school of government and did that because I wanted to get more into uh, sort of systemic change. And in particular, cross-sectoral change. So, how do you bring disparate organisations from the business, the the, the iwi, which is the you know the indigenous sector, the community, um, and the government, public sectors? How do we get them to connect to be able to sustain focus change? And so, one of the critical answers that you're not going to be surprised to is, is place. So, if you are able to actually say, look. Uh, this this place is significant is important to people, and not only to them but their predecessors and the next generation and the next generation. We need consistent effort there to work on who, what is this place? What does it need to be? How does it get there? So, um, so I suppose that's something that I've seen has been quite powerful, and I do actually see that this this is going to ironically in you a, know a, a global age I think this is going to become a key way in which we are able to make substantial change. You know, I mean, obviously, this is globalised efforts, but actually it's got to be done. And, of course, the key task of leaders, and, of course, is to, you know, create the kind of collaborative governance structures that sustain that, but then the collective leadership that keeps, keeps brings it, gives it life, gives it uh, momentum. So I think this is going to be a really become increasingly important, and so um, that's the other thing I've noticed is this uh, and a lot of the people that were you know there were kind of a lot of power players and rivalries etc people saying you've got to check that at the door this is something much bigger than this particular organization and its share price and all these other kinds of things so I'm actually noticed that's uh, and particularly in the you know the Waikato where I'm based you know which is in the sort of central part of the of the North Island very strong uh, Maori presence here we have campuses in Hamilton as well as the Tauranga which is the Bay of Plenty uh, we're really getting much more engaged with our our place we are the University of Waikato we need to be much more instrumental and, and uh, con- you know uh, more interventionist there in terms of rebuilding the place, but also uh, the university as well. So, you know, so much focus on connecting globally, which is important, but actually I sort of think it's an Andor thing. Really, really great universities are very much of their place, uh, and they use that to create strong connections with other universities that are of their place too.
0: It's time, Brad, for me to share with you the, the second award. Are you ready? Okay. You've already mentioned it. Yeah. You just kind of – Blew past it, and you have the coolest title of any leadership book ever written, especially a leadership studies book, which is a very short, fairly interesting, and reasonably cheap book about studying. And it's all of those things. It is.
1: Yep, 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 yep.
0: <laughs> Would you tell tell us a little bit about the the story behind the title of that book? And then you mentioned earlier that you're working on the third edition.
1: Well, we've done the third edition uh ken ken yeah it was uh, ken ken parry who was tremendous uh, leaderships guy in fact he was responsible for that uh, he was a uh, brisbanean from from queensland and he was instrumental in encouraging me to, to move there but he was director of the center for study of leadership at victoria university wellington when i first arrived from canada in about 99 and uh i said so what's this leadership thing you know and he said oh so you do this and this and i thought well that's kind of what I've been doing for years, you know. <laughs> so uh, we we wrote a pop book together called The Hero Manager uh, about, you know, nine exceptional New Zealand chief executives and it reasonably popular. To, to, to be. Gave Stephen Covey a bit of a run for his money for a little <laughs> while. And then, uh, um, but uh, I got approached to uh, write a, a book, uh, a sort of crammer book on leadership and uh, by... By, by Sage, and uh, I was quite keen. I was I just moving into the leadership space. And I think one of the best way to, to learn a new field is to try to teach it and write about it early on when it's still novel to you. You know, it's you're more effective at teaching in a way because you, you kind of, it's still a mystery, it's still exciting. And what happened is uh, I used to be the book reviews editor for um, Journal of Management Studies, and I got a copy of Chris Gray's book, uh, which had that same title and it was the first in the series yeah and in fact there are a number of uh, fields there but leadership i think was either the second or the third and what what happened is like this arrived and i thought gosh that's the book we should be <laughs> writing you know not not this crammer yeah. you know and uh, but amazingly i saw the book and the next day my publisher said uh hey uh We've got this idea. How about you do the very short film? thing like that? So I just grabbed it and I said, <laughs> I'm in. And then I said, I know the very man that needs to be part of this. And that was Ken, Ken, Ken Parry. So we, we worked who had a lot more experience, was a lot more knowledgeable. So that really, really helped. And we just sort of said, look, let's sort of write this. I was teaching an honors course in leadership. And as I was teaching it, we were writing the book and working, you know, what was working, what wasn't. And so it's evolved since then. And it's done, you know, uh, really really well and um it, it, it's funny a lot of people kind of i get notes from various doctoral students around the world even mba students saying thank you this, this book has really helped <laughs> demystify this stuff because we wrote it in a fairly humorous way but also trying to create a more holistic so the sort of functional instrumental work as well as the critical work and and just um I mean, when I talk to business people, I always say, "Look, it's so it, it's right about leadership that, n- that you never find in a regular book. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. There's back uh, the the, the uh, icebergs, all the stuff below in academia. Most business people are blissfully unaware of. So, so yeah, we've done done th- three editions uh, now, and um, so the the you know just but it is trying to create a more holistic uh, appreciative. Perspective of a whole range of perspectives that we've got. It's a wonderful field to be a be a part of, and uh, you know, uh, I've gone off to you know public management, public policy, social enterprise, social management, but I've, no, I've I've always thought, no, this is my home. This is where I belong. Is with the ILA and the leadership community too. So it's a great way of keeping keeping in touch. There.
0: Well, and you and you had mentioned of, of Ken's passing. Is there a story that comes to mind for you about working with him that stands out that that listeners would love to hear?
1: Yeah and its but what was amazing was you know he, he battle with uh, pancreatic uh, cancer and uh what was amazing was how many stories that Steve Kempster and I received we were you know we 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 took on uh we put together a special issue uh in honor of Ken Ken Parry the Journal of Management Organization and um and it was, you know, I, I was just amazed how many people had a story about Cam Parry, how he spent time with a particular, you know, doctoral student or challenged a business executive or took someone to a cricket match or, 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 or whatever, you know. And so, so it was, for, I mean, I have a lot of, you know, really great, you know, personal memories from him. But what's done me, it was probably more important, is how many other people uh, he, you know, Created stories with, and uh, uh, and it just had this lovely kind of holistic view. It wasn't very judgmental, but but sort of asked the asked the questions that had to be that other people wouldn't ask if you know what I mean. Uh, so I, I that was the thing I sort of most most valued was this just straight, very honest uh, approach to, to 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 things and. Uh, you know, I can remember us. So we, you know, we published this sort of uh, book. You know, the, the hero manager. We, you know, we went to a big book launch, and they put us up in this tiny hotel room <laughs> in the in the hills. two of you where in one room, we sharing, <laughs> a, sharing a bed together. It was kind of, you was sort of, it was a bit thinking, you know, well, you know, fame is not going we're, to get, to us. <laughs> get the bed to us. We've made it. Yes, exactly. And so, um, yeah, and I was just, you know, really pleased that we were able to get the third edition <laughs> out and uh, in his honor. So, yeah, it's. And what's interesting, you know, a truly global perspective, because you know there's has been a kind of divide between Europe and North America, and you know, but actually he had a way of bringing all scholars together. Everybody knew Kent, kind of mm. thing, and had it, you know. So um, yeah, and his favorite phrase was "Here's the thing." <laughs> you know, that was always what he would say. Here's the thing, you know. Oh, what's he going to say now? You know, <laughs> um, yeah.
0: maybe that's what. Maybe we'll call the episode that in his honor. Here's the, here's, thing. <laughs> here's
1: the thing. Oh, well, well, this, this must be the place. <laughs> that, that could be the other thing. Yeah.
0: Well, Brad, I hope you have a wonderful Friday. It's Thursday at four forty-five here, four forty-seven, and it's probably about ten forty-seven or eleven forty-seven there now. A.M. And I I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for the work that you do. Uh, Thanks for bringing this dimension. I love that connection to geography. And I love looking at leadership through that lens. It's just a a beautiful way of, and, and you've stretched my thinking in a really fun way today in this conversation. And I know our listeners will enjoy it as well. So be well, sir. I hope you have a wonderful, I cannot wait to buy you a pint at the next ILA, I hope in Switzerland, and and yes. we will catch up in Quite person. fine
1: Swiss, Swiss, Swiss beers there, actually, Scott, <laughs> so I will hold you to that. <laughs> but, yeah, just to sort of acknowledge and to say thank you so much, Scott, for the, the invitation and the way in which you've thoroughly enjoyed it too. It's just gone so, so quickly. and um, But just to sort of, uh, for those that are listening and for them you know, to, to stay well um, and to, you know, think about the connection to, to place, to, to use that as a really key driver for who they are and what they're about and generations too, but to stay well, stay healthy. And uh, we will find a way and we are finding a way. And uh, so uh, go well and stay. Okay.
0: Thank you, sir. Have a great day. I think our distance affected our timing a little bit. I apologize if it sounded like I was interrupting Brad, but it's always a pleasure to speak with Brad Jackson. He always challenges my thinking and takes it to new places This whole notion of leadership and place, if you think about it, if you reflect on it, place is a central character in any event in world history, place. And how did place shape the events that unfolded, good, bad, or ugly? For me, the practical wisdom here is to examine your own place. How does it shape you? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it ugly? How does place shape who you are and how is it a central character? Brad spoke of your mountain and your river, which is something that I'm also going to reflect upon. Geography, geography and leadership. Ted Bartman's talked about geography as well. I think, I think there's something there as another way to explore this topic, how the geography impacts, how history impacts who we are, and the story that's being created. Take care, everybody. Be well. Talk to you soon. You have been listening to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with others and let them know what we're up to. And one last quick reminder to click subscribe so you know when we publish new episodes. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can stay in touch with me by visiting www.scottjallen.net or any number of social media platforms. Be well, be safe, and make a difference wherever you are on this beautiful planet. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.